0: Welcome to NAB Digital Next. I'm Brad Carr from NAB's Innovation and Partnerships team, and we're jumping back onto digital ID today. Our guest is a world leader in digital ID, and also a great friend of mine. Rod Boothby, CEO and founder of ID Partner Systems, joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area. Rod was previously the Global Head of Identity at Santander, and we partnered previously on an initiative with the Institute of International Finance and the OpenID Foundation. Rod also gave me a fantastic travel tip for my family's California road trip once upon a time when he steered us to the lovely beach town of Morro Bay, and I can pass on that recommendation to anyone. Rod, thanks for joining us and welcome to NAB Digital Next. It's great to be here,
1: Brad, and next week I am going to Morro Bay with my family, Uh, so I'm very excited about it. It's the only beach town in Northern California that is still an old school beach town. It isn't overrun by uh, super exclusive fancy stores. Instead, it has that that amazing down home feel. It's wonderful. Um, it, so I'm it glad is. you enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to going there myself.
0: It is, and it was absolutely pristine clear water in the estuary uh, for kayaking uh, as well. So uh, yeah, I I love the place. It was a great tip you gave me. Maybe uh, drilling more into uh, professional matters uh, in digital ID. Can we can we start with the the history and. the prior collaboration that we had in your Santander career. Are there particular reflections or learnings from that time that perhaps most inspired or propelled you in what you've done in launching ID partner systems?
1: What happened uh, at Santander, I was global head of identity and I'd been asked to innovate on top of the bank's identity stack. It quickly became obvious that the stack was pretty good. And so I thought, well, let's sell it as a service. They said, great, get a customer. So I went to Ashish Jain who was then at eBay and asked him, would you be interested in banks verifying who your customers are? And he said, this would be great. Buyers could trust sellers. Sellers could trust buyers. It's fantastic. He said, there's only one problem. Centender is not big enough. What? It's got 153 million customers. And he said, no, 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 no. It's only about two 3% of our customer base. If you think about it as a percentage of the whole world, can you get all the banks? All the banks. Okay. I can get all the banks. The best way for me to do that, I think, uh, well, I have no idea. So I went back to the bank and I asked, how do I get all the banks? And they said, it's easy. Um, uh, Go to the IIF and ask if they would help you to reach out. That's how I met you. Uh, That's how I met um, uh, the rest of the team. And that's how we uh, started off with the Open Digital Trusts Initiative. During that initiative, it became clear that there was a big opportunity for banks to deliver bank-based identity solutions for their customers to verify that the person on this session was really who they claimed to be. But there was a big challenge with getting to market. How do you go to a company like eBay when you are bank A, and then bank B's got to do it, and bank C's got to do it, and every bank has to do it. In the US, there's 8,000 of them. It became clear that every company didn't want to integrate with 8,000 banks. Instead, they wanted to integrate with a trust network that helped to broker the, the connections. And that's how ID Partner came about. What they need is a, uh, a trust network operator that can verify that each entity in the system is who they claim to be, provide some kind of an idea about how those entities are behaving, a
0: security signal, and then connect everyone. So that's how we formed that ID partner. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of what you've described there really resonates, and we see it in our home market here in Australia too, That, and we're really proud that NAB has stepped forward as one of the launch banks with Connect ID, trying to bring that same sort of concept in our market. But it is actually one of these areas where we need every bank to hurry up and go faster and get there with us, and our system and, and we actually become stronger as you extend that reach, and that the, the network of banks can support everybody across the, the whole economy. Maybe with that background you provided, let's let's come to the current day. And can you tell us a bit more about ID Partner and the services that you're, you're offering and extending?
1: What we've done so far is to connect to 8,000 banks in the US and the UK and Sweden. Our intention is to connect to networks throughout the world. So we hope one day to connect to the Australian network. On the other side, what we've connected to are large companies like e-signature companies, even a power company uh, that want to verify their, their customers are who they claim to be. And the goal is to eventually deliver this everywhere. Building this out has required us to understand what each party in the system needs in order to be effective. It's, it's a little bit like getting exactly the right balance of controls when people first launched flight. You can look at some of the early examples of people trying to fly and they look absolutely crazy because they're missing something critical, like uh, not being able to control roll or yaw or altitude in some way, not having the right power or not having the right wing shape. In order to get identity right, it's about balancing the interests of the three Components in the system, whoever is providing the ID verifications, whoever is consuming them, and then making sure that you protect, most importantly, the interests of the consumer. Are the is their privacy being protected? Are they remaining in control of their data as it flows through?
0: And you, you mentioned you mentioned Sweden as one of the markets that you're connecting up to. You know, I think we've those of us that have, have seen the opportunities for bank-based verification have very much look to Sweden and Norway as being probably the the real early pioneers in this space and, and where they've had bank ID systems running successfully for 20 years. you know I'm, I'm curious you know how you see the landscape today, particularly in the, the home market view in the. US. Maybe if I broaden the aperture a little bit though, like I, I think the vernacular is interesting as well and, and we've pivoted in the Australian market away from talking so much about digital identity and more to using the phrase digital ID. And we've done that quite deliberately. And I noticed uh, Stephen Wilson of Lockstep has picked up on this as well. You know, I guess we're clarifying that quite often we're talking less about the whole ID of a person. And quite often it's that we can verify a particular credential or a particular attribute or simple human realness. And to your point between the parties of who needs to rely upon this, the consumer themselves, we want to try and minimize where we can to just the attributes that are actually needed. Now I'm just curious how, how you think about you know the the key uh, elements, I suppose of of ID and and how you would you know view that same prism perhaps
1: i, I think you're on to exactly the right thing. In fact, in the Super Bowl this past weekend, there was a a great commercial by discover uh, Discover card uh, on this topic. Um, starring Jennifer Coolidge, famous comic actress. The commercial went like this. They started off by her calling into the Discover call center, and they made uh, a point clearly that they staffed their call center with real humans who will answer you, not just bots. And she said, well, how do I know that you're real? And the person on the line retorted, well, how do I know you're real? And she thought about it for a second and hummed and hawed and, It's funny. And she then said, yeah, how would I prove that I'm not a bot? Sometimes that's all you need to do is indeed just to prove that you are human. Uh, Let me give you a great example of that. Buying Taylor Swift tickets. They've had huge problems with bot farms buying up all the tickets It's undermined her relationship with her fans because tickets that were supposed to be expensive at $250 are suddenly extraordinarily expensive at $2,000. That's not what she's aiming for. It's not how she maximizes the lifetime value of her relationship with her fans. All they need to do is to prove this is a unique human, not a bot farm. So I like how you're expressing it. and, And sometimes digital ID is about I'm a unique person, I'm really the person controlling, I don't know, say that streaming account, or I am this specific person, and something more important about me, like, I work for that company, and I have authority to update the payment instructions, or she works for that company, she's the CEO, and she can sign legal agreements on their behalf, or this other person works at the hospital, they have admitting rights, or This guy over here is really the patient, and those are his medical records. Digital ID is a much more complicated thing than that. The key questions, though, always come back down to something very simple for a business. Can I know that this is a real person? And can I be certain about the basic facts about them? And then, second, can I recognize them? Is the human on this session really the person associated with? that digital ID or those elements of their digital ID. The third, can I predict how they're going to behave? Is this somebody who is going to pay their bills and they're unlikely to return an item unless it's broken? Or is this somebody who's uh, a fraudster who's trying to rip me off? And then finally, if there is risk associated with them, can I transfer that in some way? These are the key elements of a identity transaction that a business thinks of, from an individual's perspective, what they're thinking is, can I quickly prove that I am who I claim to be without having to hand over everything about me? Can I prove that I'm not a bot without having to scan my driver's license, my passport, do a liveness detection test, all of these other things that are completely privacy-invasive?
0: Uh, I love the fact that you started that with the reference to to Taylor Swift tickets, and I'm not sure if you realise just quite how appropriate you are to the Australian context. But uh, uh, we're recording this on the day when Taylor Swift's first uh, Australian concert is actually going to be tonight at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and uh, and I have uh, I have a cousin and her kids that are coming in from Perth for it, so uh, hopefully she got the $250 tickets and not the the thousand many times plus yeah. uh, scalper ones. But but I think it also relates there, you know Rod, that we need to be exploring the the international connectivity issues here, um because I'm sure that you'll see traction in in your market around these kind of solutions, and particularly where some of the old-fashioned capture tools to ha, have been defeated, that as we see major American ticketing agencies and presumably footwear retailers and other entertainment providers, moving towards some of these systems and and hopefully secure services being offered by the likes of a Bank of America and a Chase and a Wells Fargo. We presumably will have Australian customers who want to be able to stand in line and be able to verify that they are legitimate alongside the Wells Fargo customer. So it's going to be contingent that we step forward and, and into that space. And more broadly, we are facing what is very much a, a fraud and scam epidemic in our economy and I think globally at the moment. Just being able to minimize the leakage that comes at the moment where people are having to provide copies of their passport, copies of their driver's license to all sorts of different businesses that probably aren't set up for storing and protecting that data securely. It's the stuff that ends up on the dark web and becomes the basis for the next round of impersonation or social engineering scams. So the more that we can be minimizing those flows and cutting that off with verification of the, the BAM needed attribute, it just seems so valuable to me
1: it is exactly uh, what we need to solve and the way to do it is really simple and that's where it comes in if you think about those four steps okay well my government or the university gives me a credential that says that i've graduated or um the hospital gives me a record those things we all understand they can be simple encrypted files recognizing me that's another question entirely and in order to do it well in a digital space, it's not the same as a normal interaction in person. This is a little bit like the advent of cars. When we first had cars, we called them horseless carriages, and they were, <laughs> they were something that was very simplistic. What we've got today is something that is very different from those early vehicles. We have something that has crumple zones and airbags and safety belts and crash detection solutions, and uh, lane departure assists, and a whole myriad of things that are very different from what we first started out. The same thing's happening and needs to happen with digital ID. The key thing that we need to understand is that in an in-person situation, there's a whole bunch of implicit stuff that can't be solved easily online. So in person, if you present me with a government ID, it has recognition technology in it. It's your picture. And a huge part of that also implicitly is liveness detection. You're standing in front of me. You look like the picture in the driver's license. Online, I don't know if you're standing in for, on the other side of the computer. I have no idea if that's a human. I have no idea if the image that's being broadcast to me that looks like this image is generated because it came from your camera or generated because it came from some kind of AI tool that is mimicking you. Just like that happened to that poor guy in in Hong Kong who wired 25 million, thinking he was talking to the company's CFO. And not just the company's Mm. CFO, apparently there were many other people in that fake. Um, All of them faked used to convince this person to send the money. These kinds of things, mean we need to solve that problem of recognizing the person in a different way. A bank uses a really sophisticated myriad of tools to do it. They don't look at just what the device says. Banks look at what network you're on, whether or not you've undergone impossible travel, what angle you're holding the phone at, response time from the, uh, the camera, dozens of other things to recognize that the person on this session is the same person that has been using this device for an extended period of time that is great it protects your money and we all want our banks to do that for them uh, for us but it's kind of privacy invasive too so as an individual i want to be able to choose the institution i know and trust to deliver that service for me why are banks great at this two reasons one they've been doing it for a long time and it's in their business interest to do so And second, they are very well regulated. And the regulatory rails are not just about laws. They are also about an enforcement infrastructure. If you talk to anybody in banking, they will tell you about the the number of people, internal, external audit, dozens of different types of banking examiners that come in. In the U.S., the banking examination system is so robust that just one of the examiners, the FDIC, is so large... They have their own hotel in washington dc they discovered that it was cheaper to build an entire hotel for the staff that's coming in to get trained on bank examinations than it was to actually send them out
0: oh that's the facility that's they got it. in that facility they got in arlington that's the yeah 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 right okay yeah i huge i've been to conferences there but i hadn't appreciated that that's uh the, yeah right
1: it's a private fdic uh facility be, we don't need to reinvent the wheel globally. This thing is already in place. We already know how it works. Governments understand it. They understand how to regulate it. Let's just use the infrastructure we've already got in a creative way.
0: So I want to pick out a couple of things of what you've just described there, Rod. I think, firstly, you, you've underscored the point there about we need to ensure that people have got choice and that they're able to to use the particular verifier or service that they most trust. The mantra we've used here is, is trust who you choose and choose who you trust. I and, love it. And as you allude, like banks have a strong record, a strong history in this. Um, trust is our core business. And for most of our history, that's been trust manifested in terms of protecting your money. Increasingly, mm-hmm. it's about trust in terms of protecting your your data and identity. And there's all of the the many BIS and Bank of England and other studies that have shown high levels of, of trust in banks protecting personal data compared to governments, tech firms, others, et cetera. But of course, I'm talking there at the majority. and it's And at the individual level, Individuals will have their own chosen trust preferences, trust patterns. And so it is really important that we give people choice. And, and I feel yes. that the inclination of people to adopt and to use a digital ID service that is safer, that is alleviating that sharing copies of passports, et cetera, is contingent on them not being shoehorned into a singular provider, um, but rather that they feel empowered and, and have that trust. So I'm, I'm really glad you, you underscore that. But I also do want to dig deeper into, you mentioned the example of that Hong Kong scam recently. Uh, and that's had a lot of profile here in in our media in Australia as well. Uh, Twenty six million US dollars, I think it was. And and I guess you know what I find striking on that is, you know, we've tended to think of these AI deepfakes in a scam or fraud context. I don't know whether it's just because we think of scams a bit more in a consumer context. We've gravitated to the the person facing a a, a fake in a Zoom call, and not knowing that that's what it is, and whether that's for you know confidential issues around telemedicine or around financial advice or being conned into making a payment but this hong kong case really exposed to us the point about um, about corporate fraud uh, or corporates being defrauded in this way as well and you know i know this is a space that that i think you've been one of the early you've been early at sounding the alarm on this like a, a lot of us are jumping onto this now but you've been in a lot of your publications and videos and your linkedin posts for over a year you've been calling out the The not a bot to face into the, verify you're not a bot to face into the AI deepfake scenario. And I just sort of wonder if if you can, you know, perhaps point us forward as to how we need to be thinking about this and, you know, the notion of of, is it bank verification at both ends of the Zoom call? We're recording this on Zoom right now. You know, do we verify with our bank as we log into the Zoom call to give the person at the other end comfort that, yeah, you are talking to who you think you are?
1: Absolutely. In fact, we've at uh, Eddie Park, we've already created a plugin to Zoom um, to deliver exactly this. What would be great is if it's fully integrated into the product um, to give people an extra level of security and confidence. And we're hoping that they'll do that soon. But the, the solution is very simple. At the beginning, when you register, a little button pops up. The way our system works IB Partner has a magic button that remembers who you bank with. So if you're a NAB customer, you'll see verify with NAB. When you press the button, if I, NAB adopted IB Partner's tag, the NAB customer would get a message on their phone from NAB. They would log into the NAB app. Inside the NAB app, they would see, it looks like you're trying to log into this uh, session on Zoom. We verified that this is really Zoom. Would you like to verify your, your name and that you're not a bot? Yes. Um, maybe it's, would you like to verify that you're in a certain country? Or mm-hmm. maybe because of the context, if it's a health call, would you like to share your patient information? And maybe simply, I'm just a human. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but whatever it is, you verify what you choose. And then it's right there in the Zoom session at the bottom where the name normally is, is a check mark that says this was verified by this financial institution, it gives people a basis of trust. There's a step further than this, which is uh, the thing that I talked about in terms of risk transfer and where I'm hoping long-term this goes, which is if I need to send money in this context, can I go back to the bank and say, could you please guarantee it? And at that point, We've talked at ID Partner to reinsurers who are happy to step in because it's now quite easily quantifiable to understand the capacity of a specific financial institution to verify uh, ID. Say, okay, they do a very good job, so the price point for this insurance or reinsurance is low, and customers can then transfer the risk. I would love to be able to do that whenever I'm buying a car, whenever I'm buying a house, and certainly in a business setting, when I'm doing some important things. This business-to-business fraud is huge. I know of a, um, uh, well, this is public, KKR here, a massive private equity firm, in early 2022, wired $130 million to the wrong place based on misinformation in a phishing campaign. I know a major internet company that got a call from their landlord in Paris saying, hey, you know that huge building that you pay $8 million a month to rent? Yeah, we haven't received rent in eight months. It turned out that eight months previously, somebody had changed the payment instructions and they'd been sending the money to the wrong place. This kind of fraud, whether it's invoice fraud or direct misinformation or changing payment instructions, costs society an enormous amount. There's estimates for it. Uh, Visa Verify says that 3% of e-commerce revenue is lost to fraud globally. 3% e-commerce companies only make a 10% profit margin. So they are paying a tax equivalent to 30% of their profits to fraudsters. McKinsey says that if we solve this problem, if we deliver an effective digital ID, advanced economies can expect to see a 3% jump in GDP And developing economies can expect to see a 6% jump in GDP. This is mission critical for the world. But it's not just even for this. It's mission critical for things like maintaining our democracy. If I can't understand whether I'm talking to a human or a bot, I'm susceptible to mass manipulation. And therefore, meaningful public conversation is no longer possible. We need that to be able to continue to function. Trust, it turns out, is the most valuable asset in our modern economy. We need to address it. Anyway.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think you're alluding there to not only the very direct financial circumstances and your example of things like a payment to buy a car is the sort of payment that for most people, they don't make it regularly. But when they do, it's a very emotive yeah. focused transaction, which it's it's increasingly critical that we have to get that right. But also where you know, the financial sector has an opportunity to be providing this kind of verification in order to enable the other things throughout our economy and broader society. You know, Rod, I'm keen to to perhaps sort of pick up some of the other use cases you see emerging with your business in the US. And and we've touched a little bit already, obviously, on the the scenario around the Zoom call deepfake uh, example. You brought up the example of the Taylor Swift scenario for, for ticketing en masse. Are there other particular emerging use cases that are a a big current focus that you're seeing in the market there?
1: Yes. Um, Insurance companies are particularly interested in this, both for setting up insurance coverage and then uh, during time of payout to make sure that they understand who's making the claims and who they're paying money to. Um, Power companies are uh, working on a POC with a, a very famous power company, that is uh, trying to ease the process with which they guide people through signing up for new power supply a cool thing there and actually through all of this is that we can create a very positive feedback loop between the relying parties and the financial institutions so an individual may go and sign up for power at one two three main street it's often useful to show your power bill to prove your address. And so the power company offers a thing. Would you like me to create a credential that you can put in your bank ide- uh, digital ID wallet that verifies this is your current address? The person could in- install it. They can share it with online delivery companies. They can share it with e-medicine uh, companies. They can share it with um, anybody a school when they're applying to, to have their children go to the school, any of those kinds of scenarios. And they can be given the option to share it back to the financial institution, which helps further improve financial KYC on the individual. Now they understand better. People often forget to update that. They don't see critical financial notices. This is a way to get it there. So in addition to the power companies, e-signature companies are all interested in this. And to me, it's a natural fit there. If you think about most uh, document signing companies, really what they are is distributors of trust. That one interests me particularly because if you take a step back and you look at like a, a company like Kodak, Kodak was in the camera business, in the film business, in the chemical processing business, had a huge infrastructure for distributing things. As things went digital though, they needed to step back and realize that their real business was helping people share memories. Kodak, at one point, was worth $60 billion in modern terms. Today, they're only worth $300 million. If they had said, our business is sharing memories, they needed to stop with the entire infrastructure that they had. All of those people and the the big empires that were built internally solving those problems, they were going to go away. They did go away. What Kodak needed to do was to become Instagram. They needed to become Flickr. They needed to become Facebook. Same thing with RIM, BlackBerry. They helped businesses to securely communicate. They needed to become Slack or WhatsApp and change things dramatically. And I think the same thing is uh, true here of digital signature companies. What they're really in the business of doing is helping two parties to trust each other. ID Partner is a trust distribution system.
0: Rod, right, I'm going to attempt to, to try to capture a few highlights out of what you've described. You know, a very broad range of insights you, you've given and it's been uh, tremendous to hear. I, I particularly like the point you made around the the realness, demonstrating human realness and that Discover example from the, the Super Bowl, I agree, was a, a fantastic one. That notion of, of, you know, right, well, you know, how would I prove that I'm real and, and who could I rely on to do that and, and what's an easy and accessible way to it? And I think when we link it with... Some of that AI deepfake activity that we're seeing, there's a real incredible imperative that we need to to take that forward. I do see regularly popping up on LinkedIn examples of of people who have used ID Partner to to demonstrate to their LinkedIn profile that they're not a bot, and it's uh, I think a you know a really groundbreaking piece that you've moved into there. Love that you gave us the example of the the Taylor Swift tickets, not only because it's so topical uh, here in Australia this week. But it does come to this point of of among other lines of activity the scalper activity how what how that is counted and how as a legitimate uh, ticket buyer how you can establish your credentials i think that's a a very relatable example and and, and uh and use case like the the example also you've given about the the power company onboarding and in particular the fact that that can become a, a really powerful feedback loop for establishing and, and re-verifying the veracity in that case and we've touched on the point of, of we need to ensure that people have choice. The key to adoption is that we have a range of, of um, providers that are available to people to choose from. That they're able to use the the vehicle that they most trust. And lastly, I think you know you, you dropped in there the fact that you've got a Zoom plugin, and I think that's a particular offering from ID partner. When we make this point about the deepfakes, um, that's one very tangible, productive service that I'm glad you highlighted. So, Rod, thank you. Thanks for opening our eyes across all of that. It's been great hearing these insights from you.
1: Thank you. And tell me that saying again.
0: Trust who it, you choose and choose who you trust.
1: I love it. That, that, that's, I'm going to use it. Thank you very much. Great speaking with you.
0: Thanks, Rod. And, and looking ahead on NAB Digital Next, we are actually going to continue with the guest profile of CEO founders in the San Francisco Bay Area. Next up, we're going to be speaking with Brad Goodall of Banked. And beyond that, my colleague, Alex Garkovenko, is going to delve further into the hype cycles of new technology, building on the trends we picked up on in our last episode from CES. So stay tuned and join us again soon. Thanks for listening on NAB Digital Next.